Welcome to Scrum Dynamics, episode 30, on emergent design. Hi, my name is Neil Benson, and this is Scrum Dynamics. The mission of the show is to help everyone use the Scrum Agile software development framework to implement Microsoft business applications. And just before we get into the show, I wanted to give you a quick reminder that you can have your questions featured on Scrum Dynamics by visiting my website, customary.com, and clicking on the send voicemail button. And the second reminder is for my daily Scrum challenge. The daily Scrum is an essential everyday event in Scrum. I've put together a quiz to find out how your daily Scrum performs and a 10-day challenge with one idea each day by email that you can put to use in your team's daily scrums and then reflect on in your next retrospective. To get started with the challenge, visit customary.com slash daily scrum. Now, on with the show. One of the best practices that experienced scrum teams demonstrate is called emergent design. And in this episode, I'm gonna show you why I think upfront design isn't working. I'll explain what emergent design is, why it's better, and finally, I'll share an example from one of my recent projects. In a traditional sequential project methodology like SureStep, almost all of the work to imagine what the solutions will look like to best meet the requirements is done in the design phase, which comes right after the analysis phase. We've developed software that way for, I don't know, 40 years. Some teams are still doing design like this. Here's why I think that's a crazy idea. Doing design in the design phase, it's most often done by some kind of architect who wasn't involved in the analysis phase. So all of their knowledge about what's needed is secondhand. Tragically, the architects usually haven't met the users, haven't listened to their current pain points firsthand, haven't been out with them in the field to see what their job looks like they get most of their knowledge from the project documentation. Principally, in SureStep, they would call that the Functional Requirements Document, the FRD. The Functional Requirements Document tries to capture what users want and need using natural language. Trying to express what you mean using natural language, I think that's impossible. If you don't believe me, consider the judicial system in your country. The judiciary exists because the laws written by expert lawyers and passed by the government are open to interpretation. And it's the judge's job to interpret those laws. If we can't write laws unambiguously so that they can be easily understood and agreed by everyone, then I, as a business analyst, I have got no chance with a requirement specification. The perfect requirement specification doesn't exist. I don't think it will ever exist. I do not think it's possible for a business analyst to completely, accurately, and faithfully describe everything that users want and need so that an architect can come along later and design a system that will meet all those requirements. Another shortfall of the requirements document is that they are rarely prioritized. Sometimes you might be lucky and they might have a Moscow prioritization, must, should, could, would. But if they are prioritized, then that prioritization was done before the design phase was completed. And the design phase is usually where detailed estimates emerge. That means someone has prioritized the requirements before knowing how much each requirement will cost in time or effort or money. 
and I can bet you that every project sponsor would like to know the cost of each requirement as they prioritize them. Lastly, we design the solution to meet the requirements when we know least about the system, least about the problem domain, and least about our team. Our team hasn't built a single feature yet. We haven't got any experience building software together. If we're lucky, the best thing we'll have is a little bit of experience from a previous project and a little bit of feedback from a prototype we might have built for this system. So we're designing what we hope will work without any foundation based on real world feedback. And to me, that's pretty scary. So there are the reasons why upfront design has been steering us in the wrong direction. Not enough time spent with the users, reliance on paper specifications written in natural language, prioritization before the estimation, and lack of experience building software together. So contrast that with emergent design. Here is how emergent design works and why it's better, and then I'll share my recent case study. Using emergent design, we let the team members who are working side by side with the users design the system as they build it. We still have a big picture blueprint, a high level design, which is just a sketch of how we think the system and its integrated components might work. We also have a set of enterprise architecture principles agreed up front that guide our system designs when we're building the product. But we don't need to decide whether to use a plugin, a workflow, or a Microsoft flow to meet a particular requirement until the sprint in which we need to build the feature to meet the requirement that's described in the user story has been started. Let me give you an example of a recent requirement that we had and how we used the practice of emergent design and how we pivoted three times until we achieved the final design and met the requirement. Our requirement was to integrate Adobe Campaign and Dynamics 365 customer engagement. We needed to replicate contacts from Dynamics 365 to Adobe Campaign and to replicate marketing messages and offers from Adobe Campaign over to Dynamics 365. When we planned the project using story mapping, we estimated this epic at 20 points, which for us is a medium-sized epic. We assumed when we made that estimate that we'd use the Adobe CRM connector. The CRM connector from Adobe promises to make this a configuration exercise, but we adjusted the estimate a little bit higher than, than that because none of us had had any previous experience with the Adobe CRM connector and we anticipated potential connectivity issues between Campaign, which we're hosting in AWS, and Dynamics 365, which is hosted by Microsoft. We have 2 million club members stored as contacts in Dynamics 365. And for the fields that get replicated to Adobe Campaign, we update less than 50,000 contacts per day, which is about 30 records per minute. And our Adobe consultant told us that the connector could handle that without any problems. But what it couldn't handle was replicating large deliveries of email messages and text messages or marketing offers from Adobe Campaign over to Dynamics 365. Our business has got monthly, seasonal, and weather-driven events that generate a million messages at once, and those need to be replicated to Dynamics 365 within a few minutes, so that if the member calls us up, we're able to see the message that we've just sent them, understand the context, and be able to respond to that member's inquiry. As we went to start the integration epic, we discovered that the connector couldn't handle that kind of volume, a million messages in an hour. Fair play to our 
professional services team from Adobe for the heads up. And they saved us wasting time trying to get the connector to meet that kind of performance demand. So our next idea was to export the marketing messages and offers from Adobe Campaign to a local file and then use our on-premise FTP service to shuffle the file somewhere that we could pick it up with SSIS and import it into Dynamics 365. We used a similar pattern to push outbound call lists from Campaign into our Genesis phone system. But our enterprise architects nixed that idea. The on-premise FTP service, well, let's just say it's, um, it's not a strategic technology and we didn't want to add another workload onto it. So, the next idea, idea number three, was to export a file from Adobe Campaign over to Azure Blob Storage and then use SSIS to import the file into Dynamics 365. We quickly found two problems with this design. Firstly, Adobe Campaign uses an old version of the Azure API and it's got a bug in its blob storage methods. Campaign can read and delete files in Azure but can't write to files in Azure blob storage. So that's not a lot of use, hey. And although we're using SSIS and Kingsway Soft for data migration, we're not planning to maintain SSIS for systems integration. So that server is going to get decommissioned once we've migrated all of our data into production and we're live, we're going to retire our SSIS server. So design number four, the winning design, was to export marketing offers and messages from Adobe Campaign to an Amazon S3 storage bucket and use Azure Data Factory with the Kingsway Soft integration toolkit to grab that file from S3 and import that into Dynamics 365. I think if we'd done all the design up front, we probably would have locked in on the Adobe CRM connector as the solution for both directions in this integration. We would have written detailed requirements, a system architecture, design specification, entity mapping diagrams and flow diagrams and sequence diagrams. All that architecture and design work would have been wasted. Instead, we spent a little bit of effort building a couple of potential solutions. And while we did that, we learned about what worked. Our prototypes helped our stakeholders refine their requirements and priorities along the way. And when we built the working solution, it met our enterprise architecture principles and our users' requirements at the same time. Boom! All we had to do to finishing everything up was to document our as-built system design, which is another thing I love about the emergent design practice. You only need to document the system components that you've actually built, that are actually working. No time is wasted documenting designs that never got built. That's emergent design. That's why I love it. And if you're still clinging to doing upfront designs, then you need to read more about emergent design. Explore it. Try it out. Courage is one of our core values in Scrum. So if you're feeling anxious at the thought of not knowing exactly what you're going to do before you build it, then be brave, experiment, go for it. My mission is to help everyone use the Scrum framework to successfully implement Microsoft business applications. If you'd like to learn more about Scrum and achieve your professional Scrum Master certification from scrum.org, visit scrum365.customary.com to join my Introduction to Scrum for Dynamics 365 course. The course features videos, worksheets, quizzes, and a practice assessment for the Professional Scrum Master Certification Exam. 
It covers the theory of Scrum, its events, roles, and deliverables, as well as the lessons I've learned through 10 years of applying Scrum to Dynamics 365 projects. You can find out more at scrum365.customary.com. Thanks very much for listening to this episode of Scrum Dynamics. Don't forget to subscribe so that you don't miss an episode. We've got lots more good content coming up. And remember, if you'd like to have your questions featured on the show, send me a voicemail by visiting customary.com and clicking on the send voicemail button, or you can email me scrum at customary.com or send me a message through LinkedIn. I'd love to hear from you and get your question answered on the show. Or if you'd like to get interviewed on the show, I'd love to interview people who are using Scrum on their Power Platform or Dynamics 365 projects and come and share your experience with the Dynamics community and get featured on the show. That's it for now. Thanks very much for listening. Remember to subscribe. I'll catch you next time. Bye for now.